0: But if we were to watch a movie like a 90-minute clip of that person's life just a summary of all the hardships they went through all the choices they make all the their parents yelling at them and then figuring out how to cope with it and going through rejection in school or getting bad grades and then you know having the ups and the downs And we, we just saw all of those aspects of their life in detail we mm. would be making the same decision that that person is making in that moment
1: hey everybody welcome back to ancient intelligence you've got your host anya shack here and i'm really excited about conversation today. This conversation is related so much to ancient intelligence because we're going to be talking about the unconscious mind. So there's this idea that, you know, people will say, oh, nobody really changes. And at the end of the day, people don't really change. And that's just not true. Some people change and some people don't, but that's not for lack of effort. There's actually something that brings together science and art into one to really explain how change happens on a subconscious level. And I'm so excited to welcome my guest here today because he's essentially an expert in the unconscious. He's a mental performance coach. Welcome, Mike Urso.
0: Thanks so much, Anya, I appreciate it. Looking forward to
1: this. Me too, it's gonna be a really fun conversation. You guys are in for a treat. Even with the brief in uh, chats I've had with Mike so far, and even listening to him on some other podcasts, I've already learned a few things from him. So you guys are really in for a treat. So why don't you start by telling everyone that's listening, like this, what is, what do people mean when they say, you know what, people don't really change? Like, what are they actually talking about? Yeah,
0: people don't really change. Well, people do change. (laughs) For some, it takes longer time than others. Okay. Um, and you know, you, you've alluded to the conscious, uh, unconscious and the subconscious. There's also the conscious I'll use the unconscious and subconscious interchangeably here from here on out. So, people can understand that. um, yeah, but a, a lot of our habits, think of it this way. A lot of our habits, behaviors, the automatic kind of autonomous abilities that we have are just kind of running in the background. Uh, for example, when we think about uh, tying your shoes in the morning or putting your pants on in the morning. Generally we put the same shoe on every day. We tie our shoes the same way. We put the same leg in the same pant leg first every day. And we do this because it's a pattern. We haven't, we, we don't really think about it. It's, it's unconscious, but if you really stop yourself and think about it next time you're doing that, you do the same thing every time. And our <laughs> yeah. brain does this because it wants to have just reflexive um, kind of abilities. It's, it's very energy hogging to do something new, to learn something new. The brain requires a lot of energy. It's it's probably running somewhere around 20 to 25% of our energy, the body's total energy at any one time. So to Mm. learn something new is very, very costly. Um, Mm. So it wants as much reflexive activity as possible. And so this is why we have all of these automatic programs that are running um, for efficiency. And Oftentimes, we consciously want to make a change. We we know, for example, for the the people who struggle to smoke or lose uh, quit smoking or lose weight, yeah. um, they know they want to not continue eating that extra portion, or they know they want to put that cigarette down and quit smoking. Then they know it's bad for them, but they can't stop themselves from doing it. And that's because oftentimes, in that subconscious part of you, um, there's been a pattern of of kind of like purpose a pattern of purpose or we call it like uh, a hidden uh, a hidden payoff in a way mm. where you've learned to do this thing because it's giving you some sort of positive mm. reinforcement in some way even though on the surface that behavior looks like it's a bad habit and mm. so that's why change can be so hard it doesn't mean change is impossible it's certainly not i've experienced a lot of it with my clients and in my own personal journey of course uh, and that is, you know, getting the conscious mind that the, we'll call that the go of uh, the goal setter yeah. to get an alignment with the goal getter, which is that subconscious part of you.
1: Nice. I like how you said that the goal setter, the conscious mind, the goal getter, the unconscious that really hits it for me because I've just been reflecting a little bit um, about like what it is sometimes that holds me back. And just has held me back in the past few years. And I've realized that whenever I will would like overeating has been a thing for me too. Like this, like eating my emotions. Um, and I would I realized that when I do that, I get into a like a, a state of meh, like depressiveness, melancholy. And that actually makes me feel safe mm-hmm. because I'm not like going after something that I really want. So it's like keeping me in this safe place. So help like unlearning that is such a game changer.
0: Yeah. One of the, one of the keys to that is understanding that all behavior, even if it's a, a, what we would call like a negative or unwanted behavior has a positive intention behind it. So in Mm. in the case of overeating, for example um, let's say for example, and most of these habits and patterns have started very early on at childhood, Mm -hmm. you know, very early on. It just been reinforced because again, they've worked, they've solved that problem. For you over and over. So in the case of overeating, uh, we may look back to uh, maybe, and this has been the case in my experience with clients, I've seen it many times over, which is, um, you know, the child's upset, the parent says, here, have this bowl of ice cream or have this dessert. <laughs> in that moment, it solves that child's problem and they feel better. Like they get relief. Mm-hmm. They, they're like, oh, there's this delicious ice cream. I feel better. All of a mm-hmm. sudden it changes Date. And so now the ice cream or the food or this overindulgence of something is, is creating a, a positive kind of reinforcement for this person. And it's, it's, uh, in a way helping them with whatever mo- emotional impact that, that state w- that they were in previously. And so when you reinforce that the brain learns very quickly, Oh, this works, this helps calm me down. This helps make me feel better. It right. wants to repeat that over and over again, even to the detriment of knowing that eating ice cream every day or overeating is eventually going to accumulate an extra weight gain. Mm. You not feeling good about yourself, self doubt, you know, body image issues, all of these things that people start to develop over time. And even though they know they can't, you know, they want to put the, put the extra food down (laughs) the cigarette down or whatever that habit is, they keep doing it because in the, in the past, it's been wired in that there is this positive reason of why they're doing it. And so in those cases, You have to come to terms with understanding there's a positive intention behind it. And Mm. can I use something else? Is there another alternative behavior, an alternative habit that I can implement that would solve that positive intention? If I can do that and teach the unconscious mind that because Mm. it thinks that it needs to use this mechanism to solve that problem, if you can trade it for a better type of habit or or, um, let's say a habit or a, a behavior that is more in alignment with what you actually want, and you can create that rapport between the conscious and unconscious part of you, that change can happen. And it becomes much easier when you bring, bring those two uh, parts of the mind into rapport.
1: Wow. That's so, that's amazing. Like, that's amazing. That's what you do for your clients. It's um, amazing to talk about it. So give me an example of like what maybe someone that you've had with the smoking thing or any other example that comes to mind. um, Like what's been a successful replacement.
0: Mm. So that's an interesting question, right? Because what I've noticed in the past is people want to automatically take a bad habit and introduce like a a healthy habit, like something at the complete (laughs) opposite end of the spectrum. So an example with smoking is let's say somebody instead of smoking, and because there's processes we can run with hypnosis and neuro-linguistic programming that can switch out a habit very quickly. I Mm. I can help somebody switch something out. I just did a a, um, a, a weed smoking cessation, uh, with a client three Tuesday, two days ago. Wow. And what, and, and it happens very quickly. We did it in like 10, 15 minutes, right? So we can make fast changes. The key is, is knowing you got to make that change ecological. It means it has to be a positive change for that person, for the people in that they interact with, for the people around them that they interact with. Otherwise the, that ar- unconscious part of them won't change, but in terms of like the smoking when you're trying to insert a different habit or change a different habit out for that, we can't say like, okay, instead of smoking, I would like to get up and go work out and go to the gym. Right. Because what happens if you wake up with an urge to smoke at three in the morning, you can't go to the gym. There's no gym open, you know, unless you have, a yes. 20 and then it's extremely, you know, inconvenient to do that. Yes. And so you will default back to whatever pattern it you know, was that would you know, help you relieve that stress instead of exercise. It's smoking in that case. That's been programmed. So, so you have to be careful with that. It has to be something how I do it personally. And what I find that is much more impactful and let's say much more widespread across multiple contexts of life is I use an image of the identity of that person. So a positive self-image. So there's a lot of techniques of visualization, creative visualization Um, You know, that we use in in all sorts of manifestation practices and such. And so I found that there's a lot of power in creating a, let's call it a positive future self image of that person. Mm. So what are the character traits of that person who no longer smokes? who's living a healthy life, who looks how they want to look, feels how they want to feel, is living amongst all their values, isn't fully aligned aligned with who they are as a person. Yep. Let's create a visual image of that person. And let's make that the image that you see. Let's make that the template from which you want to experience. Because when you take that image and that image is copy and paste it to where you would normally see yourself smoking, and we do that in repeated fashion enough times, the unconscious mind learns that every time I want to smoke, actually, this is the image I want to see. I want to feel like this person. And so then it's more widespread across multiple contexts of life. It's not just, um, you know, I'll just go work out. It's no, I want to feel. And, and so it's more of an identity shift, and more of a, a deeper yeah. state change, if that makes sense in that moment. And so in that moment, that person has a choice to choose a different behavior, but it's open context. They can kind of go anywhere what they want. They just won't, it won't be smoking. It'll be something that a person who their future self Mm. is would do, if that makes sense.
1: Love that. Yes. You talk about a lot how the condition of the mind is an identity problem, like foundationally. Mm. Can you expand more about that, the idea of identity and like what that really means for a person that say like wants to make a change, like, you know, approaches you, like what's happening with that?
0: Yeah. Well, think about what the identity is. It's who you believe yourself to be. Um, Like our name is one of those things. Like we all have a name. That's how we identify ourselves. Um, You know, there's, you know, different genders. There's different, um, all different ways you can identify yourself. Um, I'm a smoker is one. I'm a Mm. fitness. I'm a health nut. You know, people, I think I am statement is someone referring to their identity, who they believe themselves to be. Mm. Uh, I'm a father. I'm a fireman. I'm a soldier, right? I'm a mother. There's all these different identity statements. Your identity is such a strong part of who you are. It's like one of the most deepest intrinsic aspects of your being, Mm. um, even deeper than your behaviors. For example, Mm. um, going back to the smoking, because we're on that topic of understanding it in the form of identity, um, oftentimes uh, people misidentify who they are with what they're doing. So someone will say, I'm a smoker. I've always been a smoker. My mom's been a smoker, my whole family mm-hmm. smoked. Right. And so that's just yes. who I am. Right. Yes. So It becomes very difficult to change when you are, you know, that deeply embedded into that identity versus, and, and here's where I help people. I help them see it in a different view, you know, reframe it and give them a different perspective. And so for example, with someone like that, I might say, um, Well, you know, I breathe, you breathe air, but we don't go around calling ourselves breathers, (laughs) right? I'm not a breather. It's something I do, but it's not who I am. Smoking is something you do. And so think about Mm. how an identity is formed. Identity is formed oftentimes with a behavior that's repeated Mm. over and over and over till a point where you don't, you've now, you've now mixed up that behavior with who Mm. you believe yourself to be. People will Mm -hmm. say often when they overeat for a long period of time, I'm fat. And so- but, but they're not actually fat. Fat is a substance. It's, you know, it's, it's excess adipose tissue. That's not right. who they are, but what happens is because they overate so many times and they've gained some extra weight and there's more weight on their body than, than they, they would like to have. They've now identified that that's who they are when reality That's just something that they've done. Now I'm an Mm. overeat. I've, I've overeaten is different than I'm fat. (laughs) You can change a behavior much easier. It's much more difficult to change Mm. the identity. And so when we look at the identity, it's such a deep part of us. It's probably the strongest belief or the, 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 yeah, probably the strongest belief that we have about ourselves is who we believe ourselves to be.
1: I love the way you said all that. I'm just like thinking to myself, um, For example like as a kid i used to watch lots of uh foreign movies right so i'd watch these like french movies and i uh see these women and men like smoking and it was so romanticized it was like they're so elegant and chic and they're these smokers and so like i'm gonna move to paris and i'm gonna be a smoker as opposed to i saw like a drug addict smoking next to me which is two completely different ways to build an identity Yes. So fascinating.
0: Yeah. Yeah. There's a, there's a a famous, um, kind of like proverb or story don't. I'm going to butcher it. So I'll just paraphrase it, but there were two brothers and one of them became like a very successful businessman. And, um, you know, both of them had a father who was an alcoholic and one of them became a very successful businessman and the other brother, uh, basically, you know, went nowhere with his life, became an alcoholic himself, just was mm. on the complete opposite end of the spectrum. And when they asked each of those brothers, what, what's the reason for why you ended up where you ended up in life? And they both said my father. And so it's like, you can take uh. one and say, I'll draw inspiration from that to, you know, be a complete opposite of that. Right. Or I'll take inspiration and, or I'll, I won't take that inspiration or I'll see it as a curse or some sort of, um you know, uh, I don't, I don't know. So, some, something that's wrong with me and it's in my family, you know, back to my whole family smokes and I'm a smoker mom, you know, so they take that and they totally. take that identity. Oh, that's just part of what we do. And so, yeah, it has so much to do with the frame that you put on it.
1: Mm. Um, yeah. That's so cool. I think that's so interesting. And the thing that, um, I was reflecting on as you were speaking was, you know, all of these things that you do, my cat's just now interrupting everything all good. <laughs> <laughs> um, all of these things that we do is very much like human. What we learned as kids, what we saw, what we created. Um, but your soul isn't a smoker or fat or anything. Your soul is none of these things. So there's this yeah. amazing opportunity, and that's where I think of the unconscious. That's where I think mm-hmm. of it's like this pure place where you know anything really is possible, and it kind of leads me to you know. Asking you. So one of the things that you talk about is like, you know, you're a mental performance coach, you help people like overcome limitations, pursue their dreams is really important to you. Like, how did you get there um, as a coach? Like from your mm. background, would just love to hear a little bit about that.
0: Yeah. Well, it goes back, honestly, to uh, I'll go way back to like, even yeah. when I was four and my parents got divorced. Okay. Um, there was so much there that was, I guess, just so confusing as a kid growing up, not understanding um, that situation. You know, my, my dad talked bad about my mom. My mom talked bad about my dad. It was just a whole toxic. Uh, house to live in. And fortunately my mom stepped up when my dad and her divorce and my dad didn't come around as much. He was kind of intermittent whenever he felt like it. And so that left me very confused. Mm. A a lot of like self doubt, a lot of, is there something wrong with me that my dad doesn't want to be around me? Same with my brother and my brother um, struggled with that as well. You know, it it was very difficult. Um, But because of that, I also developed this like wild curiosity of why people act the way they do like why does one family hold it together and these you know these these two parents my friend's parents seem to absolutely adore each other because i did have friends who their parents were completely in love and why do my parents you know hate each other or despise each other and are Mm -hmm. always fighting and so i just had this curiosity on why are people who you know, why are they the way they are? Why do they do these things the way they do? And so it was always also coming from that, that level of pain and the level of kind of, uh, you know, abandonment that I felt when I was a kid. I always wanted to be a healer too. Like I always mm. felt like I need to help other people stop suffering like I was suffering and I was still suffering. And only until recently did I get through and and I would say kind of resolve some of those past, we can call them traumas, but imprints, you know, that yeah. were left on me when I was a kid. Over time, um, I, you know, was a lost kind of teenager, working in restaurants, even into my early 20s. And uh, I, you know, what happened, I guess I was at a crossroads, I was I was living in just a, a very unhealthy lifestyle in New York City as a server in Times Square. And uh, it was super busy, but that led to a lifestyle of where you work until one or two in the morning, and then you go out until four in the morning. And then if you wanted to, there's actually after hours bars where you can stay out until seven in the morning. And so I found myself sometimes like walking home to the train and then back, you know, it's my house in Queens from, from uh, Manhattan and people are going to work and it's light in the morning and I'm leaving the bar. Like, this is not the life that I want to live this is not the impact. This is not what a healer does. And I still had all those Mm. curiosities and things, but I, I was trying to just, you know, fit in with everybody and do things in a way that made me feel like I was part of something, but knowing that that internally, that that actually wasn't who I wanted to be. And Mm. so I remember having a conversation with a friend uh, in over a beer and she said to me, you know, you've always been really fit. You've worked out. Why don't you Get out of the restaurant and start working in a gym. You could be a personal trainer. You can actually help people get in shape. You know, you, you do it. You're regimented and this and that. And so I was like, huh, she's right. So I went to a quick little like uh, it was an eight week Equinox course where I became certified as a trainer. I was um, uh, able to get a job. I, I think the day after or two days after I got through it started becoming a personal trainer in Manhattan. So did that, this was about 14 years ago now at this point. And so I, it started in fitness, helping people on that level. And then I would say five, six years into my career, when I realized that, wow, people just can't even stick to their fitness habits. They can't eat properly (laughs) all the time. Why do people just, why do they struggle so much with this? So again, my curiosity was peaked even more about human, human behavior and Mm. um, the psychology of, of all of this. And so I dove deeper. I started reading on hypnosis and subconscious reprogramming and the unconscious mind, conscious mind, and starting to understand this stuff and um, dove down that road and started becoming certified in these different modalities to help people with the deeper change work. And then started to integrate it into my fitness clients and seeing these incredible changes where people were all of a sudden losing weight and eating healthier and and completely changing because I was taking the fitness and integrating it with the mindset coaching, and people were making very dr- dramatic shifts. And so I was looked upon as like a, a trainer who a lot of people look up to. Like, you get really good results, you're really engaged with people. Mm. But even through that time, I was still going through my own struggles, my own self doubts. I, I dropped that. out of college, you know, when I first had um, gone to college. I, I went to two years and I dropped out because. I was a pothead. I, you know, I hung out with people that it just wasn't taking me anywhere because I was still trying to figure myself out, but I found this thing. And even when I was a trainer and I was successful there, I was still unsure of myself. Well, there's people who went to college for this there. They have so much more time ahead of me, but then, you know, my wife at the time, she said to me, yeah, but you're one of the top trainers there productivity wise, but also everyone looks up to you, you mentor everybody, and they've got more education than you. You're just such a good self-learner. I was always someone who would go and really just dive into as much education as I can. And I've always believed that you know, of course, like education doesn't stop when you, you know, stop going to school. In fact, if anything, it kind of starts picking up steam (laughs) because then you learn how to start to integrate this information into real life scenarios. You know, school kind of teaches you in these different silos, like you go to math and then you go to science and then you go to social studies. and And but they don't really tell you how to integrate it all. And when you're in the real world, all of these different things are integrated and you have to figure that out. And so I think my my love for the integration of these things and my skill as a coach to be able to do that is kind of what's brought me to this level of now working with like the whole person instead of we're not just focused on fitness. We're not just focused on brain optimization. We're not just focused on habit change. We're going to try to focus on this whole person because when you feel whole, life just feels better. You feel more fulfilled. You feel... You feel aligned.
1: Wow, thank you for that. That was so beautiful. That yeah. <laughs> I feel like you were just flowing like through your life. Um, I love it. It was, and I I wasn't
0: thinking. You know, it's just kind of coming yeah. out of me. You know, and it's good. You know, I, in the past, I've struggled with being vulnerable and sharing mm. some of my own struggles and the challenges, and you know, even what's taken me to this point. And I've really learned to embrace that and really, um, understand how important that is to to allow other people to heal by listening to you. I've, I've oftentimes hid myself and people put me on a pedestal and I, I didn't like that. I Mm. wanted to not feel like there was all this pressure on me because I, in the background, I didn't have, can I curse a little bit? I didn't have all of my shit together, you know? Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. And so I still don't, you know, we're still all trying to figure this thing out. Anyone that says they've got it figured out, I'm sorry. I don't believe you. You know, we're all on a, we're all on a, a journey of this continuous evolution. So
1: Ugh Mike, this is what just like drew me so much to you and just like starting to look at your content. You're so humble and just like grounded. It's um it's a beautiful thing. And let me tell you, I was there in Soho, my early 20s, mm. working the like you know, nightlife kind of waitressing, that whole thing. And you, and you know, know the, the life, life, yeah. I know the life, Mercer Kitchen. Yeah. Um mm-hmm. And also knowing, like, I feel you, one of the things that is really important that I would love to pull out from what you just shared is when you said, is there something wrong with me? And that is something that is so ubiquitous amongst us, those curious ones that want to change things that see issues and just want to fix them and help make them better and help people not be in pain. And um, you really are a healer. It's very profound.
0: Yeah. It, what, what you just said there, it, when you said that, it hit me, like, is, is there something wrong with me? Is there like, what's wrong with me? And one of the things I learned and one of the, one of the presuppositions or frames that we use in neuro-linguistic programming is, is, you know, th- you accept, you accept the person, but you don't have to like accept the behavior but the, there's nothing wrong with the person, right? The person mm-hmm. on the surface can look like they're doing all the wrong things <laughs> and they're screwing up and they are yeah. they just can't get their their shit together, but there's nothing wrong with that person. In fact, everything they're doing is, a, it's like a perfect blend of like all the choices, the decisions they've made. And I've looked at this, I've looked at it this way. Like it, it's very hard. We all judge to some extent. It's, it's almost impossible not to, because it's a way of relating to, to someone else in, yeah. in a way. But we try not to because we know like being more open-minded and having an open you know more of a uh, open mindset about things or a growth mindset it's just more useful to come from that idea of thinking, oh that person's bad like I try to see the good in everybody But I think when we think about like if, if we were to see them watch a movie like if you were to watch somebody and they just they they're a total wreck like their whole life is a mess they can't get it together. But if we were to watch a movie like a 90 minute clip of that person's life, just a summary of like, all the hardships they went through mm. all the choices they make all all the the their parents yelling at them and then co- figuring out how to cope with it and going through rejection in school or getting bad grades and then you know having the ups and the downs and we we just saw all of those aspects of their life in detail we mm. would be making the same decision that that person is making in that moment mm. right yes. like we, we we literally would be like if we were walking in their shoes and so it's hard so i, I try to remember that every time i see something where um, I see somebody judging someone else or man, that what an idiot, you know, people say, look at that guy, what an idiot. It's like, yeah, but if you were him and you made every decision he made and walked through his shoes of every step of his life, you would literally be making that same decision he's making in that moment. There's no other way. So mm. when we think that, Oh, I know better, or, you know, someone else knows better. You do because you're looking at it from the outside, of course. Yeah. Oh, yeah. it's very easy to be. And and so again, this this reminds me of a, a a wonderful technique. And this may be great for your, you know, listeners because this is something that is very powerful. Whenever, t- whenever you have like a conflict with somebody, one of the most powerful things you can do, and I teach this to all my clients, is whenever you have a conflict or it's it's very difficult to feel empathy for someone or or even just understand why they're doing what they're doing. A lot of times this works well in a relationship if there's a, a little bit of conflict, mm-hmm. is allow yourself to we, we we get very emotional when we're in our own in our own <laughs> shoes we're in that first we go like first person right yep. Seeing through your own eyes it's very hard to disconnect from your emotions because you are being you and you're experiencing life as yourself and so you're super connected to the emotions you're experiencing it gets very difficult to see someone else's point of view if you're staying associated into yourself so one of the things i teach people is allow yourself to just become a third person for a moment if you can for a moment just imagine yourself floating out of your own body and floating across the room and watching yourself and the other person, if there's someone else involved, right? But Mm. you can just watch it yourself and and notice yourself outside of yourself. How do you look? What's your body language like? What is your mood like? What is your facial expression like? What's the other person like? And then what's the energy like between you and that person? And if you observe that for a moment and then you say, let me float into their body for a second, the other person, right? Mm. And say, let me feel as they're feeling and look back at myself. How much, how must I be feeling now as them as I look back at myself and what, how are they making me feel? And so you gain so much information by hopping through these different perceptual positions. And then when you come back into your own body and seeing things through your own eyes, again, you have a completely different frame of that situation in the world. And that, is neuroplasticity. That is how you change your brain. It's gaining some new information that now allows you to never see that situation like you had previously seen it, right? You've got an update on those neural pathways and you've given them a completely different (laughs) scenario to see it from. And it's a very powerful exercise.
1: Love that. Um, Yeah. Everyone will love to hear that. I think that's great. It's like you went from 2D to 3D essentially And, um, one thing that, that reminded me of too, is, uh, like in relationship coaching and, um, you know, helping couples, there's this notion that there are three entities always, there is you, there's them. And then there is your relationship, which is neither you or them. So it's like this third perspective, um, what a cool kind of way to bring that home for Yeah, people. we call that like
0: in, in NLP, what we call that is like the fourth position. It's not talked about a lot. So you have first position yourself, second position then, third position, the kind of fly on the wall, <laughs> observer, no stake in the game. And then you have the fourth position, which is the energy between one and two. And oftentimes mm. that's that's overlooked, but that's another powerful place if you can stand in the energy between and that fourth position between one and two you can gain a lot of information in that position as well.
1: Wow. So cool. This is awesome. All of these things are amazing. I, I have a, like a macro question. Okay. sure. So, you know, we're in this world, it's 2024 now. I feel like we're all, especially um, those listening to the podcast, you know, understand some of their childhood trauma, have like done some inner child work, are working through things, are looking to just Better themselves. It's like the world of self development is is kind of upon us, and I think people take a very individualistic approach. So they do as much learning as possible, they gain knowledge, they hire coaches, they do this thing. I'm curious what you think of people maybe a hundred years ago or two hundred years ago. Like, were they privy to these kinds of dynamics, like understanding their subconscious, their conscious, like? you know, what are your, what are your thoughts about, you know, people having this like drive to change maybe a hundred years ago?
0: It's interesting. I think that was much more intuitive back then. Mm. Um, And I think one, one of the reasons is if you look at just in this day and age, there's so much information. I'm just, for those listening, I'm holding up my cell phone. This one piece of technology I have in my hand allows me to access so much information, consume so much self-help audiobooks content on instagram i mean anything honestly i can with chat gpt i can find out just about anything i want between that and google in the matter of seconds mm. and i think that unfortunately that overconsumption of all of this stuff mm. almost like almost confuses people in a way i don't think that our brains yeah. our ancient brains are are <laughs> made to keep up with the amount of information that's coming at us yeah and it really um one of the shifts that I've been taking, especially for for this year, you know, we talk about New Year's resolutions, but really for me it's just it's not a resolution, but more of a change in lifestyle that I want, which is going into more creation mode and less consumption mode. Yeah. And I think that there's so much consumption and I think, you know, I, and I fell into this trap and a lot of people do. I'm sure a lot of people listening have like read self-help book after self-help book, looking for that, that silver bullet. What's going to be the one that just changes it all for me and Mm. gets, and gets the, the fix that I need to get my (laughs) life on the path to making the money I want, having the relationship I want and, and, you know, being fulfilled in my business and this and that. And it just never seems to come. Yeah. And I think it's, when, when you're constantly looking for that next thing, or you're looking for like, what's the answer? What's the next course? What's the next podcast I can listen to where you're constantly searching for that? You know, in a way it's a form of feeling inadequacy. It's a form of like, mm-hmm. I don't feel like I'm enough yet. So I can't get started. I can't start taking action until I, I learn more until I do more. And I think that there's people who do it in a healthy way where they consume and then they take action and they're able to, again, integrate what they learn into their life and continue moving forward. But I think there's a lot of people who are just hoarding more information, just consuming more, taking more in and not doing anything with it. And I think it's just overconsumption and total information overload. I mean... How, think about how many books you've read. How much of those books do you actually remember, you know, the key concepts from them? There's so many more I forget than I remember. There's so many more um, <laughs> ideas and thoughts and concepts from podcasts I've listened to than I remember. Um, yes. And so, you know, people will say, if you want to be successful and some of the most successful people in the world, they, they take one path and they follow it until success. Like, folk, I love the like acronym for focus, follow one course until success. <laughs> and it's it's true. But there are yeah. people that, you know, we need variety. There's all these different needs we have. Some people want yeah. certainty. Some people want variety. I like yeah. variety. I like learning different things. Like yeah. I said earlier, I love to integrate different information. But what I've learned is not to over consume, not to take too much in, mm. um, there's a lot out there that works if we just do it. I think people want to jump between diets. They want to try this and that. They're not really sticking to any one thing mm. because it's difficult and it's boring sometimes to just follow yeah. one course. Yeah. It's frankly, it's boring. And with so much variety and, and, and novelty out there in the world, it's like Literally. people twirl, you know, and their attention gets drawn in a different direction. So that's the thing I, I think. I think back then it's just more primitive, but they were just more intuitive. They didn't have all of this information coming at them like a fire hose. Um, they it was, it was simpler, you know? Yeah. You just, you execute and that's it. Yeah.
1: It's powerful stuff. I mean, one of my favorite things is to read uh, uh, accounts of like indigenous women from hundreds of uh-huh. years ago and just like their wisdom about how, you know, on these specific days of a woman's menstrual cycle, she will have access to this aspect of her soul and she'll have this new knowledge that she wouldn't have like four days later. That kind of primal yeah. knowledge is like, it's, you have to shut out all the blue lights to tune into that. So yeah. it's something that I'm really excited for myself to get more, um, interest, you know, into this year. I, I just, I'm like all about that stuff. So
0: I, yeah, I think there's knowledge that came from those times that has been lost and it's starting to you know, be found again. You know, we took this route of where, you know, for, for example, psychedelics came and mm-hmm. we realized that, Oh, they kind of open up the pineal gland and they're, you know, they allow for this completely way, different way to see the world. And, mm. um, I think that, you know, there there's been kind of like this well then there was pharmaceuticals and they'll solve all of your problems but really now if we go back to psychedelics which are kind of making a turn back around after being suppressed for so long now we're seeing a completely different shift in consciousness through that avenue so that's super fascinating too and these things were you know who put those there how did they you know (laughs) they've always been here so it's interesting you know
1: (sighs) I love that. Oh, I love that yeah. you put that together because, you know, it's you You read your, your bio and it's like mental performance, peak performance, right? It's like all about that. But when you kind of drill into what's going on in the world of Mike, it's like there's so much kind of like ancient wisdom that you're totally. able to help people with. I think it's awesome.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, there's there's so much to draw upon going back to 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 all that and just you know, understanding consciousness. I mean that that whole thing can be extremely confusing for a lot of people. I mean, scientists don't even have a real definition of it yet, you know, we, yeah. we know quantum physics and all of these different things. And you know, this is why I I just believe, you know, the power of manifestation and the power of being able to uh, place your mind in a place, you know, and and think about something powerfully. For and as vividly as you can, and just keeping that in your mind. Generally, what I found is if I do that, things come into my life. I don't know always how they're going to come into my life, but generally they come into my life in some way. And so I've just learned that you know what you repeatedly say to yourself, what you repeatedly hold in your mind over and over, generally comes becomes true. And you know it could be a whole lot of negativity that you're saying to yourself, and a whole lot of you know visions of a future that you don't want, or the anxiety of that, or it can be. picture of what you do want and that's really the biggest shift that i've had in my own life is starting to see my life how i want it to be Mm. and holding that vision in my mind and using technology using modern technology to help me with that whether that's understanding how to um, you know, play with my brainwaves to get me in the right state to be in an alpha state so that I can be calm, relaxed and focused and creative and be in a theta Mm. state where I can reprogram things, you know? And so using, you know, technology and neuroscience to do that, but also understanding that there is some ancient wisdom there that we shouldn't, we shouldn't neglect like Ayurvedic (laughs) medicine. I mean, some of that stuff is extremely relevant, you know?
1: Mm. So
0: yeah. Integrating it all.
1: I love that. So when it comes to that, like the negativity space, so imagine somebody is like doing the things they're they really are healing. They're kind of thinking about, um, you know, what they want their life to look like. The manifestation is going well, but then there's like a, a couple of days where they just like fall off the wagon. How do you help people like in those moments, um, kind of get past any sort of shame or disappointment and help them like get back on track?
0: Personally, the the route I've taken more recently is understanding how to optimize your brain function. So, you know, I think like one one of some of the basic tenets that we do need to focus on. It's super simple, but it's really so important. Which is physical exercise, fitness, um, yeah. your nutrition, and your yeah. sleep, and and really just maintaining those kind of three foundational uh, aspects of life can completely change your emotional regulation, your cognitive the patterns, your behavioral tendencies, and they may not fix everything, but they're going to start to stabilize a little bit. And then from there, it's mm-hmm. understanding, you know, the way I look at, at, at things is I take people through um, what I call a neural mapping, which is understanding what your unconscious patterns are first. So, mm. you know, if you have anxiety, if you are emotionally dysregulated, if you are reactive to things and not um, proactive to things. Mm. Understanding some of those patterns. So, you know, I, I take people through different different assessments and intakes and things like that to help them understand that. So yeah. you have to know what those things are first. I mean, speaking to a professional always helps. It's probably the faster route than try to doing it, try to do it yourself. Yeah. But you also can you also can start writing things down. I think journaling is extremely valuable in that sense. Yeah. You can when you put things down, you can start to again dissociate from them and see them from a different angle. And that, mm. and, and like I said earlier, it can help you gain more information and more access to new insights. Um, once you've understood your unconscious patterns, I think it's under, it's important to understand again: Do I have a, a, a an identity misalignment? Do Yay. I have limiting beliefs? We didn't talk about limiting beliefs, but those are oh, yeah. very powerful um, parts of us where they can completely prevent things from coming into our life. And so, um, those limiting beliefs that we've talked about, self-doubt, fear of failure, being resistant to change because I failed so many times before. Um, and then, you know, even beyond that, once we do start to make those shifts and change those limiting beliefs, now it's about creating more like sustainability and momentum Mm. with your progress. So, you know, developing some high performance habits, Mm. um, understanding how to sustain peak cognitive function. Um, so many people just feel like they're always uh, oftentimes underforming their pot- potential but i think when you understand what your unconscious patterns are you start to change them through you know however however you can do that i actually just made a post today about how to how to un- unearth your limiting beliefs and i think like seven or eight questions you can ask yourself to figure oh. out what those limiting beliefs are Um, because that's, that people don't know. Oftentimes you don't know what you don't know. You feel like you're blocked. You understand, you feel that negative emotion, but you don't know why you have it. So there's some questions you can ask yourself to unearth them. Some of those limiting beliefs and then understanding how to change them. And all that is, is reframing, you know, we have to, we kind of have to look at it with a fresh side of eyes and said, is this really true? And there's so many different processes. Um, I like, um, uh, what is her name? Byron Katie. She yep. has something called the work, the four, yes, questions. the four questions. I think the process, it's super elegant. It's super simple. Um, she does it extremely well. I find that to be very useful. Um, and so, yeah, there's so many different methods to choose from, but I think it's that. I think it's understanding first what your unconscious patterns are, paying attention to them. And, mm. and it's, easy to, it's easy to find sometimes, where are you not happy? Where are you? Yeah. Where do you feel it misaligned. Where do you feel like something just doesn't feel emotionally right? I think our emotions are a great kind of barometer of whether we're in alignment or not. And, and I'll say yeah. it like this. Um, let's say you consider kindness as a value you have, and that's something yeah. you believe that's part of your identity. I'm a kind person. Well, if you say something kind to somebody and then you get a good response from them, generally it makes you feel good. It's a, it, You're reinforcing that positive pattern yeah. And you believe you're a kind person. It, it, it's a good feeling. You get a positive emotion in response. Yeah. But when you're, let's say you say something to someone and you weren't exactly mean to them, but maybe they took it the wrong way and they didn't get quite the response, you know, that you thought they were, you would, you would get from them. And, you know, they, it just, it just, something didn't feel right. And you get this negative emotion from that, right? Maybe regret or yep. guilt because you made them feel bad, even though you didn't mean it, it generally is is a kind of, again, a screen to say an assessment that I'm not in alignment right now with what's mm. important. And so, you know, your emotions can be just that. They can be kind of mm. this way to like, you know, am I in alignment right now? If I didn't feel good about that thing, well, then that means there's something that maybe I was violating one of my values.
1: Yeah. Wow. That's, that makes a lot of sense to like identify the negative emotion as something that is uh, almost like a north star like okay <clears throat> we're not going in the right direction
0: right or even even as it just sometimes they will use it as justification so like for example someone may be sad over something that this you know something bad that's happened to them or a yeah. family member, and they have a sense of sadness And they'll feel like, I don't, I don't want to feel sad anymore. And I said, actually, sadness is a beautiful thing because sadness means that you really care about that Mm. person that's showing that that's, that person was extremely, if you didn't feel sad, you probably wouldn't have any feelings about that person, but sadness is actually a a way of showing you that that person is meaningful to you, you know, and that can sometimes help somebody settle and be like, Oh yeah, actually that's, that sadness is a good thing. It's not always a bad thing. You know, um, some of these emotions, like we said, they have positive intentions behind them. So we just have to look for it.
1: So cool. You know, as you were speaking, I like kind of identified something with myself. Um, oh, interesting. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> I was just like uh, thinking, so I love to dance. Um, it's very important to me. And I have this like, actually, uh, once when I took some psychedelics, I had this like the, my old grandma self basically said, if you move your body, you'll move your soul. That's like Mm -hmm. the answer. If I'm ever in like a melancholic place, just dancing is, is really the way it's the way. And so I'll get in these moments where I won't do it. I know I should do it, but I won't do it. Mm. And I realize it's because of this like worth conversation of like, I don't deserve to feel good. And so I'm going to mm. not do it to make, to maintain the bad feelings. And yes. I think that's like the, just like my dad, like some oppressive behavior as yeah. a kid. Where self it sabotage.
0: Yeah. 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 It's so,
1: it's totally like, whoa. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And it's a pattern that's been put in place to keep you safe, you know, in some way that keeps you safe.
1: Yeah. Totally. Yeah. It's beautiful stuff to start to awaken with these things. And obviously, you know, I had a coach kind of help me through when I was able to identify some of this. So I'm just so like, I love what you're doing. And I want to kind of ask you another question here. Um, through this conversation, through the subconscious, the conscious, everything you've been sharing, what is, we're talking about peak performance and changing beliefs. Like, what is your vision of success? Like, what does success mean to you?
0: success to me i i guess is it is that living in alignment with with your purpose mm. um i don't think it's monetary i don't think it's getting to any one place so to speak i think success is kind of an ongoing thing i think you know success is more about fulfillment to me if mm. i feel fulfilled then to me i deem that as successful and so you know for me personally i have specific um, I, I always look at life from the frame of like, not what are my goals? Goals are kind of like more short-term things. I think about life as more of like experiences. Yeah. And I, I frame it that way because a lot of times like people will have this, you know, I want to build this business and, you know, make a million dollars <laughs> or have whatever amount of revenue. And there's all these like monetary things, but what's missing in that is just like, what's the reason you're doing that? What's the purpose behind it? Like, what does that allow you then to be, do, have mm. doing that? And I always think about like, I don't want work to be that, that means to an end. I want it to be, I want to, I want to know and map out what are the experiences I want to have in life. You know, some of mine are uh, personally, I want to take my girlfriend and my kids on epic vacations. Mm. You know, I want to go all around the world and experience different cultures. And I want to continue doing that. I just booked a trip this past Sunday to do that, you know? And so. I want to do that. I want to have a craftsman style lake house. That's something that's a dream of mine. So yeah. I hold that vision in my mind all the time and so mm. it makes it very easy for me to show up and, you know, be impactful with my clients every day because it's taking me one step closer to my dream every time I do that. And so it energizes mm. to hold that in mind and my work isn't just something that I'm doing and I feel like you know it's a trap that I'm falling into like right. so many people do for me it's like it's a way it's a path for me to explore and 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 you know be able to have the experiences that i want in life and mm. so i always think about that and so I, for me success is like continuous growing continuous contribution. Like, you know, if we're going to continue to grow, um, which I also think is another extremely fulfilling part of life. If you're not growing, you're generally going backwards or just staying still. And, and people, you know, think about it when you're feeling stuck, you're not growing, you're feeling like Mm -hmm. you're not growing. So growth is, you know, figure Mm -hmm. out a way to grow. If you feel stuck, (laughs) I think about that. Like to me, that success is growing figuring out what you, once you grow and you become a better version of yourself, because the me today is not going to be the version of me who has a lake house, you know, craftsman style lake house or goes, you know, on these epic vacations. (laughs) I need to be more. I need to do more. I need to have more. I need to be more resourceful. I've got
1: to, I've just
0: got to be a better version of myself to then go and continue to do these experiences I want. So Mm. I have to grow into somebody new. Mm. So I'm always thinking about that, but then it's okay. If I'm just growing, what then do I do with this growth? I don't just want to hoard it and leave. It's going to be like reading all these books and not putting out any content or sharing great conversations like we are today and sharing this information. If I don't contribute it in some way, that doesn't feel fulfilling either. So, Mm. I mean, that's just really what success is for me. It's, it's, it's knowing what experiences you want to have, figuring out how you can grow to become the person who has those experiences. And then once you grow understanding, what can I do to contribute to my immediate family to my community, and then to the world, and beyond that. And I think mm. if you can, if you can do all of those things, that to me is how you live a fulfilling life. That's what I I do for myself. That's what I teach my clients, and I find <laughs> that uh, everybody feels really good when you're approaching <laughs> life with that with that perspective.
1: Totally. Oh, I love that. You know what? Uh, what you said right there is kind of like encapsulates kind of like the masculine vision. In my view, and the way that I always talk about just like masculine contribution versus feminine contribution, sure. you were talking about like it sounds to me because everyone feels like they really want to be able to define their purpose, like in one sentence. A lot of people do that, a lot of people try to. I guess two like a two-part kind of question. Um, do you feel like you have a purpose or is that all related to your contribution? And If you do, kind of what is it? How do those two things work?
0: Yeah, I mean, to sum it up in like one easy sentence, I think my purpose is to help people heal. And I think like that's, I didn't know that. And I I didn't, some people like know, what they want to do from the beginning. It took me a lot of different things, trying Mm -hmm. a lot of different things. Like for, again, I thought it was fitness at one point. And then I thought it was just helping people heal trauma. I was doing just PT, PTSD removal work with people. And so, you know, it's great. I developed all these skills throughout this time. And like I said, I can integrate it all. So now it's just more of like, I just, I want to help people heal and I want to create impact. And there are people who are near and dear to my heart for that which Mm. are like, you know, veterans, uh, military veterans, people who have suffered, you know, who've who've been put in those, those places to like, you know, defend our country and really been so unselfish in how they've given their lives to do that. And my best friend is uh, both an Iraq and Afghanistan veteran. He's healed a lot of his, but some of his friends did not and they didn't make it and they've ended their lives and he's lost a lot of great people (sighs) um and it's very difficult you know and so i feel like there's not enough resources out there i feel like i have those resources i can only do so much but in that time like that's the purpose i want to have i want to create massive impact in in some way whether that's spreading it through conversations whether Mm -hmm. that's working with people one-on-one um, whatever that may be. Um, yeah. I try to, you know, every month, um, do at least, you know, some sort of just, you know, f- free uh, waiving, you know, coaching fees and, and work with somebody who's a military veteran who has PTSD, PTSD, who's suffering. They don't always have the resources. The VA mm. isn't always fully equipped. Mm. You know, they're, I think that some of the, like we talked psychedelics are great ketamine treatments and this and that, but it's very, it's not, inter, it's not integrative healing, I think. Right. And, and I think that's where, All of my skills have helped me kind of get to that point where I can help more heal the whole person. And so for me, that's the purpose is, you know, giving Mm. people back in some way and and ending their suffering because suffering, and it doesn't have to be painful. A lot of times a lot of people think you have, it has to be painful in order to change it. It's Mm. really not. Sometimes it's kind of, it can be fun, especially when you understand (laughs) how the brain works, you know, you can have some fun with it and really help people change and and actually do it laughing. So
1: yeah, it's Mm.
0: That's kind of what I want to bring. I want to bring that light and, and that purpose to uh to life. And and I feel fulfilled when I'm doing that.
1: That's amazing. I love that. It's all of the skills that are uniquely you, all of your experiences, all kind of culminating into this beautiful um contribution. Because yeah, one of the things that I think David Buss, Dr. David Buss always talks about in his um like evolutionary psychology books is the hunter that Kills the most game is not the one that's most respected. It's the hunter that gives away the most game.
0: Yeah, yeah. I, I, It reminds me of one of my, you know, favorite sayings. And I'll kind of paraphrase again. I think Benjamin Disraeli. like says the greatest good you can do for another is to not share your own riches, but to reveal to them their own. Mm. And I, you know, the whole teach a man to fish, um, you know, proverb. <laughs> yeah. And I think- so true. It's like when you can, and that's, you know, essentially what I love to do with my coaching. I don't want people to work with me forever. I want to equip them with, yeah. tools that allow them to solve their own problems and give them the tools that can help them navigate life. You know, like just a simple technique, like I shared earlier about yeah. resolving relationship conflict, something like that can be extremely profound for someone who's been dealing with that, just getting a different perspective and understanding, Oh, that, you know, there, there are tools out there. There's a way for me to find resolution in this thing I've been struggling with for a long time. And, and just sometimes that one, one insight can completely change the the direction of someone's life in a powerful way. So Mm. I think we're here on earth, like we're, we're in this together, you know, we're all in this, we're all here. And one thing I've struggled in the past personally is reaching out for help
1: from Mm. from other
0: people when I'm going through my own struggles. Uh, You know, we, we all have blind spots. You know, you mentioned your coach earlier. I have a coach myself. I, I wouldn't, I can't ask people to work with me, you know, in good faith, if I wasn't actually doing that for myself, you know,
1: Totally. and I
0: think some coaches, immature coaches see that as a weakness. I see it as a massive strength to be able to know that you don't know everything. And there's people out there who can help us. And, Mm. you know, I find it a very powerful, powerful insight. And so, you know, I try to Mm. live by
1: that. Love that. Well, your energy, you are one of those people where just by like being in your presence, even digitally, you kind of you can tell how much you love yourself because I can feel like I love myself even more now after this conversation. So it's just yeah. like really cool, um, just beautiful exchange. And hopefully everyone listening can kind of hear that and just feel all gooey inside as well. And, um, you know, uh, if you've enjoyed this, I would love for you to kind of share where people can find you, what you're offering right now, all of the good stuff.
0: Yeah. I mean, right now what I, my coaching is I do, I take people, I only do one-on-one coaching. I don't do group coaching or anything else. I I just take people through three month, um, kind of intensive one-on-one coaching. It's called the NeuroLeap Performance Blueprint. Um, and it is just that it's helping people like understand these unconscious patterns, change some of their limiting beliefs that are holding them back. And then really what, what I find is the missing link is making it sustainable so that people feel like they're continuing to make progress. I find so many people have this inconsistent, um, growth and intermittent motivation. And so I work at a different level. I work at that identity level and and it changes Mm. people level. We're not just behavior changing. Um, we're working with that. And so, yeah, anyone can reach out to me. I'm on Instagram primarily. That's the best place to reach. I'm at coach Mike Urso um, and, and pretty much on Facebook and Instagram. But yeah, Instagram is the best place to reach out to me. You can follow me there or shoot me a message. I love to have just conversations. <laughs> That's how we
1: met. So yeah, you guys, I love Mike's Instagram. It's so fun to follow along. He's just like got really intuitive, thoughtful, um, prompt always. It's just like a great, it's a great place to be. Um, it's very inspiring. So I encourage everybody to look him up. I will put the, uh, the info, uh, down below in the episode and gosh, I've just really enjoyed this. Any, um, any last thoughts before we go? for
0: today? No, I, no, just a thank you to you. I've, again, like you, what you were saying earlier, um, even digitally, it just feels so wholesome. It feels so nice to have an authentic conversation with you, the vulnerability that we're both open to sharing. Um, I know that you love what you do and you are you know, helping the world in so many ways too. um, the thought you put into this conversation and everything. I've really enjoyed it. I, I can't say, uh, anything more than that. It's just, it was really nice to share some of these insights um, together. So thank you.
1: I love it. Well, cheers, everybody. And I urge you to kind of tune out the blue lights a little bit more in life maybe this year and really come back into um, kind of communion with your ancient intelligence. All right. Catch you all in the next one.